make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people. No, definitely not, Dad. You know me. I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite. Yeah, yeah, okay. Welcome to Conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, never been banned from Facebook or YouTube, never been sabotaged or censored for politely expressing a difference of opinion, ex-Muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial. This is episode eight, and today I'm speaking with Sahil Ahmed, former Salafi Islamist, now gay activist. He also appeared on an excellent BBC Three documentary called Gay and Under Attack, specifically about the gay ethnic minority experience. You can find him on Twitter at Sahail Pak Brit, S-O-H-A-I-L-P-A-K-B-R-I-T. Hi, Sahail. Hi. How's it going? It's going great. It's going great. Pleasure to be here. Uh, it's lovely to have you here. I know we've tried a couple of times and uh, just kept missing each other. Yeah, unfortunately. Apologies for that. No problem. So finally we get to speak to each other. Yes, finally. Um, how's it going? It's going great. I'm doing well. Just um, waiting to go back to, to university um, and I'm just preparing for, for that. Okay. Yeah. Go and back and just, then you're, you're out now for the year? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm taking a year out at the moment um, for kind of health reasons like anxiety and stuff. Um, but right now what I'm doing is just spending my time doing activism work. So just a few days ago, I took part in a Quilliam panel um, cool. on LGBT rights and Islam. And I just argued for an LGBT positive interpretation of Islam. Peter Tatchell was there um, and a few few other people were there as well. That that's awesome that you're using your free time like that, and yeah, uh, yeah. I hope it all it it ends up being a great year for you, and that when you go back, you're ready to take on the world. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, tell me about um, how do you identify like a cultural Muslim, ex-Muslim? Mm, yeah, I, I identify as a cultural Muslim. Initially, I identified as an ex-Muslim. You know, I just wanted to distance myself from from Islam. Uh, I was everything but Islam or everything but Muslim. Right. But yeah. um, that was when I was quite anti anti theist in my in my thinking, which you know I think is 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 perfectly fine um, and perfectly reasonable being an anti theist. But then after that I kind of changed my mind. Um, I just kind of started going back to started praying again but oh really I, I, don't, I don't yeah i don't believe that anyone's hearing me right i but the mosque that i was going to was like a it's kind of like a pop-up mosque and women and men pray together um and women and men both lead the prayers so it's 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 absolutely brilliant and it's also open to lgbt people so um i just kind of pray like not think not believing that anyone hears me, but just more to take part in the communal ritual. Um, so just like a meditative kind yeah, of basically, connection I treat it as like to a, your background. Exactly, exactly, and a connection with my with my community, with like mm -hmm. the progressive Muslim community. So you're you, I guess you're not really a, a practicing Muslim. You're not really a theist. No, I don't. I don't, I don't believe in Islam. Uh, that's, I but think you I don't identify that. as an ex-Muslim. No, I don't identify as an ex-Muslim. I identify rather as a cultural Muslim. But that's, I do make it clear that I don't believe in Islam. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. So why not ex-Muslim? 
Yeah, well, um, I kind of, I was speaking to someone about this. I was identifying both as ex-Muslim and cultural Muslim at one point. And right, someone else I was looking you, <coughs> excuse me, uh, I was Not looking you up um, and I found you identifying as both and I was a bit confused. And just a little note for my listeners, apologies, I'm recording on two consecutive days battling the tail end of a cough and cold. So apologies if I sound strange or sniffly in coffee. Anyways, do continue. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, um, I identified initially as both ex-Muslim and cultural Muslim, but then someone I spoke to said, well, if you identify as one, like ex-Muslim has, ex-Muslim and cultural Muslim are the same thing, she said, essentially, but they have they're trying to present a very different political message. And then I kind of thought about that and thought, what's the political message I want to send out? Is it the one attached to ex-Muslim or is it the one attached to cultural Muslim? And then I realized, actually, I'd rather identify as a cultural Muslim. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So how, how do you think the, the messages are different? Well, I think, I think with ex-Muslim, it's kind of trying to, you're trying to emphasize what's wrong with Islam mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, actually i'm not identifying with my former label as a muslim however with me i'm actually identifying with my former belief i'm identifying with it as an an identity like but purely as an identity right <coughs> between yeah. having a connection and not a connection like and rejecting that connection yeah exactly exactly it's even though that you can still have a connection mm-hmm. calling yourself an ex muslim it's just the message you're sending out is like slightly different. Right. No, I, I think I agree. I agree with you totally. And, yeah, they have uh, different connotations. Yeah, I think at certain points in my life, perhaps I have identified as a cultural Muslim. But for me now, it's more important to emphasize the X part because mm-hmm. um, I guess it's it's so taboo and so dangerous mm-hmm. that to me, it's important to say that I reject this. But yeah. at the same time, I understand that need to want to connect with the community. And, you know, I write um, a blog that was that started off mainly uh, geared towards a Pakistani audience. It was about sexuality. And it was mm-hmm. really the only sex blog telling stories of Pakistanis. And um, I try to keep my... Um, distaste for religion really at a minimum there really focusing Mm -hmm. on sex and the stories that i was writing but it became harder and harder to um kind of include these stories about sexuality and not include the root cause which is yeah the discrimination based on religion usually and the oppression towards women lgbt based on religion yeah um but I guess, yeah, and that's when I started saying that this is important. So what I'm basically saying is that I relate with both those things. People always tell me that uh, if I've abandoned the religion, then I should abandon my culture. And that really annoys me. Yeah, cause, because, I mean, even if you've kind of abandoned the religion, you've, you've stopped believing, you, you're, you can't extricate yourself from Absolutely your background. Absolutely not. It's, you're still part of that. Exactly. Um, just like people are cultural, maybe cultural Jews or cultural Christians. Yeah. Like people will get confused about cultural Muslim. But if you say cultural Jew or cultural Christian, they completely understand that. And that's like a double kind of standard. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but even even identifying as ex-Muslim, you still connect with your, with your former Absolutely. Muslim identity. And because- I want to. It's always going to be a part of me. I face anti-Muslim bigotry too because my name, my... Mm. birthplace on my passport everything 
you know, indicates that I'm Muslim. There's no spot for me to put ex-Muslim or no way for people to identify me as ex-Muslim if they're just looking at me. Mm, so exactly. uh, I think uh, fighting anti-Muslim bigotry is a part of my struggle as well. And, you know, celebrating things like Eid with family holidays and just connecting to that part of the good, the good stuff, you know, I'd love exactly. to do that. You, you, can, you can kind of like look, take a religion and say, well, actually, all of these mythical beliefs, that's bad. And all of these kind of um, like really bad injunctions, like we can, we can disregard them. But, you know, we can take like the, the um, kind of festival uh, celebrations. We can take the kind of like the common communal rituals. We can kind of take the good stuff from it, mm-hmm. you know, not, not as like in a, in a kind of like a, um, a way that is um, like perhaps detrimental to the religion, but respecting it. Um you know, I don't know if I'd go as far as respect, but yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the difference between y- you, you and I. So perhaps, like, yeah, I, I would, I would probably like because what I do, I also study Islam. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I was, I've been studying it pretty much my whole life as a Muslim, and then when I became an ex-Muslim, my interest didn't wane. Mm-hmm. Like it just, it just kind of increased further. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I still study Islam. Um, and I and I really do enjoy studying. I might even kind of take it up, um, studying it academically at university at one point. Um, but it's 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 I find it fascinating, um, and and kind of like I have that kind of respect because it is rich. There is a rich intellectual tradition there hidden, like amongst all of the crazy stuff. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I say like that's why I'd say that I do respect it as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Totally. I I can respect your desire to respect it i suppose (laughs) (laughs) i can't um i i can't identify with respecting it myself because i don't know i still haven't um i can't let go of the fact that it it wants me dead exactly that that is a very serious problem (laughs) Um, right and uh, as a woman like when i walk into mosques i feel offended (laughs) Mm, by mm. being sometimes pushed to I, the back sometimes I yeah exactly exactly the whole stick the women at the back mm-hmm. put them into the broom closet yeah. kind of thing um, that's why I kind of attend I didn't like attend the um, the kind of the, the, the equal rights mosque right. where, where women and, you know and men what? pray together that's so great I totally support that kind of effort to find a space within the scripture or whatever to make things better like, yeah exactly yeah, like while we may <coughs> disagree or so, someone that truly believes in scripture and I, mm. we may disagree on a very fundamental basic level if we get into these, uh, you know, theological debates. Mm. Um, but on the whole, on the surface, I support their struggle to uh, take it to a more um, liberal place, I suppose. Exactly, exactly. That's the thing, because with Islam, um, most Muslims believe in a very classical, traditional interpretation of Islam. So they believe in the, the interpretation of Islam that was put forward by the four the four main imams of Islam, the, mm-hmm. you know, the four main mm-hmm. madhabs. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, those interpretations are terrible. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're terrible. So it's, it's really bad with women. It's really bad with LGBT people. Mm-hmm. Um, so but th- there are kind of other interpretations and other understandings of Islam, liberal, progressive interpretations. There are, <coughs> excuse me, the one thing that gets to me, though, about those is the denial that ah, 
is mm. not Islam is not homophobic. <coughs> it's just misinterpreted. Islam is not violent. It's just misinterpreted. This is the issue that I find with people. So I'm I'm in like I I study like progressive Islam and liberal Islam, and I took part in that quilling panel the other day, mm-hmm. as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and I was arguing for an LGBT positive interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now the the issue that I find with with progressive Muslims is that the the believing progressive Muslims is that they say well no Islam isn't um, is doesn't have these um, LGBT negative interpretations. Mm-hmm. They kind of deny it. Or that I, Islam is feminist. Oh, that yeah, drives exactly, me crazy. Exactly. What we need is that actually we need people to say there are these interpretations. The overwhelming majority of Muslims believe in these anti-feminist, anti-LGBT interpretations. However, there are these other interpretations which most Muslims don't believe in, at least not yet, but we're trying to push them. Right, if, if at least accept that, the plausibility. Exactly, Exactly. Like pe- people need to accept that most Muslims don't believe in this stuff yet. Yeah. Right? If you deny the plausibility of all awful interpretations and only push like the really, you know, unheard of positive interpretations, that's just going to come across as dishonest. Yeah. Because um, that's just apologism. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. And I read an article that you wrote for Gay Star News. I'm just going to read a quote from it. I am of the view that the Islamic texts and scriptures have within them the flexibility to espouse an LGBT positive ethos. Much good work being done by reformist and liberal Muslim activists and scholars on this very issue. We need to support their work. Denying that there's a problem in the Muslim community has a deleterious impact on the work of these reformers. Mm. The best way we can help them is by acknowledging and accepting there are deep problems within Muslim communities when it comes to views regarding tolerance and equality. I think that really kind of nails it. Mm. Yeah, you got to exactly. own that conversation. You got to own the fact that there is a problem if you want to fix something. Exactly. There will never be anything reformed or fixed if you keep denying there's a problem in the first place. Yes. And then... How- Sorry, continue. Yeah, because how on earth are you supposed to fix a problem if you don't, in the first place, admit that there is a problem to begin with? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. So that's why, I mean, that really stuck out to me. Um, We need to make public opinion shift. And it is possible. I agree with you there. Like, it's, I mean, slavery is permissible in Islam. And uh, we've made public opinion shift on that. Not many people... saying that it's okay to have slaves now. See, the thing is, with me, um, before I left Islam, I became a really progressive liberal Islam, um, liberal Muslim. Right. And to kind of give you some background, like I was a Salafi to begin with. I was right. a Wahhab, right? So I li- I read the text literally. Now, I, I was convinced by these in- progressive interpretations of Islam. And if I kind of went through with you, and I, I, w- I won't do that now, but if I did go through with you the progressive interpretations and the, 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 the logic behind it, I would, you would most likely find it convincing. I found it, I found it very convincing as well. So the issue is, is that mm, these interpretations are convincing, I think. In my view, they are. Now, it, de- it depends on how you interpret. Some well, for people, someone who doesn't believe in religion, it's not really con- convincing, I guess. Because I, ah, yes, yes, I agree with that. Because I think Muslims approach the texts with the axiomatic belief that Islam is true, right? right? Yep. So they have to reconcile 
the 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 the, the texts with logic and right reason. So they have to reconcile those two. However, us us lot, the ones that don't believe in Islam, we don't have to do that because we don't approach it with the axiomatic belief that Islam is true. Mm-hmm. The only axiomatic belief we approach the Quran with is is that reality is true, right? The universe around us is true. That's the only axiomatic belief we approach the text with. So we don't have to believe it. For us, it's possible to not believe, to reject the texts. But for Muslims, that's not possible. Right. So they have to find a way within the text. Exactly. So to them, it's far more, these progressive interpretations are far more convincing. However, I think for me, what I find is that um, some, it depends on how these interpretations are done. If like you interpret it by placing them within a socio-historical context and, you know, trying to, to aim for the higher objectives, you know, equality within Islamic law, if you're trying to approach it from that perspective, it's, it's, you can, it is convincing. But if you kind of try to like say, oh, but beat doesn't mean beat, you know, as in yes, the verse, verse it, means, it means something else. These, yeah. those interpretations, I don't, I don't find them convincing. Yeah. To be honest with you. Um, it depends on how you do them. Okay, so what is one uh, convincing, a more positive interpretation of the wife-beating verse? So the, the wife-beating verse, one way you can interpret that is by saying that, because this was actually, it's recorded in the hadith. So what happened is that, what was happening is that um, the women were going up to Muhammad and were saying, well, you know, our our husbands are doing X, Y, Z to us. We need more rights. So, you know, Muhammad would give them more rights. And then Umar, the, 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 the companion of Muhammad, um, would then go up to Muhammad and say, well, you know what? These women are getting way too many rights. Um, this is getting a bit worrying. So he would argue um, for, for, for men to have more rights, right? So there was this dynamic that Muhammad was dealing with. And what happened is that at one, one point, a woman approached Muhammad and said, well, my husband hit me. Can I hit him back? And then basically, this is in, in the, the hadith goes, is that the the verse was then revealed saying, you can beat your women. You can beat, you can beat your wives. And interestingly, the hadith then narrates that Muhammad said in response, Allah wanted something else and I wanted something else. Now, so if you inter- he's just going by what Allah wants. Like yeah, if you, if you he doesn't want to allow wife beating. Yeah, but if you interpret this literally, <laughs> Muhammad now is saying that I disagree with God. I don't like what God is saying. That's blasphemy if you interpret that literally, and that's how Salafis interpret it, and that's that's problematic. But you can interpret this in another way and say actually what Muhammad was referring to was the higher objectives that the Sharia is is trying to to aim at the 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 end goal that is trying to aim at the end goal being equality between men and women, and that this 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 injunction that men can beat their wives was only for it as a temporary measure. But so where does it say uh, temporary? The argument goes like this. This is what the argument that you're trying to push forward. You're trying to say that actually the Sharia is attempting to end, reach these end goals, right? But it, it's, it's doing that slowly. You can't change everything immediately. There's another, there's a, this evidence is given in support of this theory. And the evidence is, is that when Muhammad invaded Makkah, he entered Makkah and he said, if the people weren't so attached to, the, to this Kaaba, I would have destroyed the Kaaba and I would have rebuilt it upon its original foundations. Because originally the Kaaba was oval in shape. It wasn't skewed. 
right? So now basically what Mohammed is saying is that I really wish what we should be doing is rebuilding the Kaaba on the original foundations. That's the end goal that we're trying to reach. See, to me, but that just all just gets really long-winded and there's exactly, no, is, there's no convincing argument for justifying that, that verse. Exactly. That's, this is the issue. The, the Salafis, the, the Wahhabis, have it a lot easier. They're far more convincing. That's why so many people are becoming radicalized mm-hmm. because it's really convincing. You read, you read the, the 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 stuff literally. So how but, did you did you were you like born into this like Salafi Wahhabi family or? Yeah, I was born into it. So I was born into it. I was brought up with it. I didn't really have a choice. <laughs> oh, that's so sad. I'm sorry yeah. to hear it. Um, and then how did you start to lose? Like, how did you go from a Salafi? And I heard you say that you even considered carrying out attacks in the UK. How do yeah. you go from that position to becoming a gay activist? How did that unraveling begin? The unraveling began with doubts about, you know, the whole stoning people to death and chopping off people's heads for leaving Islam. And, you know, it's throwing gay people off the, off the roof. Mm-hmm. That just seemed um, inhumane to me. You know, it, it just seemed wrong on a very human base level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I just realized, well, you know what, this is really causing me a lot of problems internally. Mm-hmm. It just feels wrong whenever I kind of try to argue for these things. At in that front of point, did you uh, like uh, know that you were gay or did you identify as gay? Did you understand that you were gay? I didn't know. I didn't identify as gay. I knew that I was I had attractions towards other guys. Because I remember <clears> you saying that you denied it for a very long time. You didn't even consider being gay an option. You didn't know it was a thing. Like you didn't. Yeah, exactly. I didn't know that it was a thing, that it was like a state of being, that you could actually be gay. I, I just thought, oh, you know what? I have these attractions. I'm really straight and I just need to get rid of these, <laughs> these attractions because I'm possessed or my Aww. my internal nature has been, you know, skewed. I, I, I kind of I, I kind of rationalized it to myself that way. I mean it's it's sad really how how it can twist a person. How how much turmoil must it have caused inside to be battling this, you know? I can exactly. only imagine. It it's it sounds <coughs> funny in retrospect. Um mm. now that you're out of all of that, that oh, you know, you thought you were really straight, ha 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 but but just, I mean, just putting myself in the moment of of trying to experience what you must have been experiencing, it just seems like it would have been pure torture. Basically, I really believed that I was evil, that, you know, I was, I was the work of the devil, that there was something wrong with me, that somehow I had, you know, um, that I, I was gay because I deserved it as a punishment because of something I'd done um, previously. So I really, I, I believed I really believed that there was something wrong with me. And imagine, <clears throat> sorry. <coughs> no, my, I hope it's not that. contagious. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> it isn't. <laughs> via Skype. Um, <laughs> via Skype. Um, so I, I really believe that there was something wrong with me. Now, imagine if someone was telling you every single day that you woke up and every day that you went to sleep, someone said, you're evil, you're disgusting. There's something wrong with you. Now, imagine that person who's saying that to you is yourself. That's and you just... really believe, you really believe in what you're saying to yourself. That's how it was. I really believed that there was something wrong with me. Um, See, I'm that... so sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry I had to go through that. And I, how do you respect a religion that makes you feel that way? <laughs> exactly. I, that's this, it's for that reason that I fully and 
fully support people that are anti-theist and mm-hmm. people that don't respect religion. I fully support them yeah. and I'm fully behind them because it makes sense. It yeah. makes reason. It makes sense to hate religion. I'm like, I personally don't hate religion at the moment uh-huh. um, because I think there are interpretations of religion that are, that are good. Um, but the ones that aren't, that aren't good, the, 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 when it comes to Islam, the, the, the formulation of Islam that the majority of Muslims follow, I hate. Right. I do not respect that. And I'll be clear about that form of islam most muslims follow is not is not they say moderate it's not moderate because uh, the issue is is that when western audiences hear the word oh moderate muslim or moderate islam what you're doing is that you're comparing that to moderate christianity they're not they're not similar at all no no because when you're saying moderate islam you're saying islam relative to the muslim community Right. right. I think even moderate Muslims would be like pretty hardcore if you put them exactly. into a Christian world. Exactly. Exactly. Compared to them, they're pretty hardcore. Yeah. So I'm always clear that I'm. I don't. I do not respect kind of the form of Islam that most Muslims follow. And and I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to like make any kind of excuses for that. Right. I mean, I don't call myself an anti-theist. It's not my favorite word at all. I mean, I understand anti-theism and I understand being against that and I guess I am but to actively um, to be I don't know the word anti-theist it focused on it focuses on the ists not the ism mm. so uh, I don't I don't I don't want to be someone that is just anti all theists yeah you know even though that is really not how most of the anti-theists I know are. They're more anti-theism, but I just don't like the term. Anyways, that's a small side note. Mm. I am against theism, but I guess I'm not that actively trying to tell people to ditch their religion. If I think it's more effective if they find a space within, rather than trying to get everyone to apostatize. Yeah, I'll, I'll level with you. I personally think people should ditch their religion, even oh, though I respect Islam. If it was Islam. a perfect world, absolutely. Yeah, I think everyone yeah, exactly. should. Exactly, because it's not true. The strategically, some, strategically exactly. though, how is how likely is it that you're going to get everyone to do that? I don't think so. Yeah, exactly, because it's, 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 the, it's religion has, it's, it's like a drug. Basically, it's, yeah, comforting. It's in, in Islam, they refer to it as the the sweetness of iman. That's what they refer to yeah. that that feeling of high that that high that you get, and it's it's really addictive. Mm-hmm. So then you also, <coughs> at the same time, when you came out as gay, you also came out as ex-Muslim at that time, around yes, that time. Yes. Exactly. And that so, double having to come out must have been quite quite difficult. It was difficult and basically pretty much all of the friends that I had with, because I was involved with the Islamic Society at Queen Mary, at my the university I attend. Mm-hmm. And basically pretty much everyone there just stopped talking to me immediately. Oh. Immediately. All of them just turned their backs on me. That is um, awful. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it was pretty much like what happened is that at that stage when I came out as both gay and as, and as ex-Muslim, I my all of my friendship circle just completely changed. But I, 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 I gained a lot of friends that mm-hmm. day. Just that one day, I gained a lot of friends because a lot of people messaged me and said, wow, I really respect you. I want to meet you, etc. things like that. Um, but I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm in a really good place now. But at that moment in time, it was really terrible. And I had some really good friends, a few good friends that stuck by me. Um, but yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I can't yeah. imagine. I mean, on a smaller scale, I did lose some friends uh, when I came out as atheist, even though <coughs> I was already out as a non-believer. It was just that step to atheist mm. that was a lot for some people to handle. Yeah, but See? it's <coughs> nothing in comparison to what uh, what mm. you went through. I'm, and I'm sorry that you you had to go through that. Um, the 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 thing is is that a lot of people always ask like did you leave religion because you're gay mm-hmm. and that is a completely reasonable question to ask mm-hmm. because it makes sense right mm-hmm. um, but actually interestingly in my case it wasn't because I became a really progressive liberal Muslim but do you before think that, I left Islam that just triggered like the the pathway to questioning and. I, I don't know, because the thing is, when I was questioning religion, I didn't accept myself as gay. Like, the idea that I was gay didn't even cross my mind. But you that knew you had strange. gay, I guess, yeah, I, I knew that I was attracted to other guys, but I was I was convinced that I was still straight, Yeah, you that know, makes sense. Yeah, <coughs> I get a lot strange, of emails um, for, my, for my blog that I was telling you about uh, from young Pakistani men who are convinced that they're straight, and they actually come off as a bit homophobic. But they're they're basically telling me that they feel attractions to other guys, but they hate gay people. Mm, so I was in that exact situation. Yeah, it's very tough. Um, I don't even know what to say sometimes. Like there was this one guy uh, who's uh, well, no, no, no. This was a link that I saw um, on Craigslist. Someone sent it to me. It was like a Muslim guy who had put an ad out for just meeting men with a picture of himself and his face blurred, I think. Um, (coughs) And he only wanted like circumcised dicks or whatever, but he's like, I'm not gay (laughs) or anything. Uh, You know, I'm not gay and uh, it's Ramadan. So I totally want to keep it like, you know, halal with a Muslim guy and I'm only attracted to Muslim, but I'm not gay. Like he kept doing that in his like personal ad that he was looking for sex Uh. in. Yeah, that Very sounds strange. a lot like me. <laughs> that sounds like that's. I think that's a really good uh, um, representation of where I was at psychologically. Um, I really believed I was straight. Like, you, you, it's really difficult to. How can you be attracted towards other guys? And but you're at the same straight? time putting an ad out for gay sex, but you're believing you're straight. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's it's, it's ridiculous. This is what this is what kind of like religion can do to you and this is why religion is is pernicious i think because even if you have very progressive liberal interpretations right and you don't have those problems it's still the principle you know the idea that you believe in something without there being evidence that i have a problem with Mm -hmm. and that's why i kind of think that i think i think in the best world everyone wouldn't believe in religion um but unfortunately we don't we don't we don't live in a world like that unfortunately yeah Someday, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe someday. I, I do think that we will get to a stage where most people would won't believe in religion. I hope but so. But maybe we'll have a cultural attachment to it, you know, to yeah, kind of... Like just because keep, people still have that attachment. Well, uh, you see with Christmas <coughs> as well, like it's a pretty secular holiday. Mm. Um, it's not really... It's lost the, the religion aspect, you know, in a, in a big way, at least in Canada it has. Um, mm. But... It's still around. I mean, people still like it culturally. Yeah. Right? And if we can get there for Eid, I'd love that. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think I think that would be brilliant. Um, kind of going back to to what I was saying before, um, when it came when it when it when it when it kind of came to my my sexuality, I, I became a really progressive liberal Muslim, and then what I did is that I researched sexuality in terms of like the scientific research that had been done on mm-hmm. it, like in genetics, in, 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 in studying hormones during childbirth, all of that stuff. And I realized, wait, being gay is a thing, firstly. Mm-hmm. Two, is completely natural. And three, you can't change it. When I realized those things, I then kind of started researching LGBT, like positive interpretations of Islam. Mm-hmm. And I found them convincing. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really happy to be Muslim and I was really happy to be gay. I was like really happy with both and I was fine with both. But then after I became really progressive and liberal, I, at this stage, I then, I had now accepted that anyone can go to, to heaven, atheists, people who didn't believe in religion, or, or everyone could, if you're good, you could go to heaven. So then what, once I'd got there, I wasn't afraid to kind of look outside religion, to kind of question mm-hmm. religion, mm-hmm. the whole concept of religion and the whole concept of God. Because at that, I'm, I'm studying physics now and I, I had just gone into physics then. So I, then I started asking myself, well, is it possible in terms of the physics that we have now for the universe to have come into existence without there having been a creator? Mm-hmm. And then I kind of realized, wait, actually, it is plausible. The idea is plausible in terms of the physics. And that's when I kind of left the religion and I said, I don't believe in religion anymore. And I, uh, that, and that's when I became ex-Muslim. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it sounds like it was a gradual process and it took different steps and different stages. Um, and that's, and that's how it happens. I think it doesn't mm. just happen overnight, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You one night you're Salafi and the other you're an atheist. Like, yeah, exactly, exactly. But when you say that you were really happy being in that place where you were both Muslim and gay, yeah. Uh, as much as that baffles me and confuses me, but I fully support that. There's so many people in that position, and you know, more power to them. If this mm. is what they want, I don't understand why they'd want to belong to a religion. That doesn't accept them, but if somehow they can reconcile that and justify that to themselves, then that's fantastic and yeah. good for them. And that's the kind of thing that's going to change Islam. Different See, types exactly, of people exactly. identifying as Muslim. Um, exactly. That's that's the thing. What happens with religion is that it kind of the tentacles grab a hold of you, mm-hmm. and it's really difficult to get out of it. And what happens is that there's going to be a lot of gay people out there. That are gonna be LG, that they're gonna be gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, mm-hmm. um, or genderqueer, whatever, what, what have you. They're going, they're going to have these identities. They're going to be these people, but they're not. One thing that they can't do, they just can't do, is leave religion. So for them, you need, you know, Islam needs to create a space for right, them. Right, and it's not easy. It's not easy yeah. to leave behind everything you've ever known, your community, and just. You know, it's it's some it's a step that not everyone can take, and sometimes people exactly. just need their space to figure that out and see where they're going. Maybe they will take it in the future, but then to hound them at that moment that you can't be both, 
I think is very unfair. Like I saw a lot of that during that documentary. Remember um, Muslim drag queens? Did you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Um, The Quillian panel that I took part in, you know, Asif Asif Quraysh. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Asif Al-Hajj, the the Muslim drag queen Mm -hmm. that was in that, she was on the same panel. Oh, awesome. uh, So I was on the panel with her. And and the reason why I'm doing this kind of work is because, you know, LGBT Muslims need a space. You know, they need to accept themselves. Exactly. Or else they're going to be going through what I went through, believing that they're evil and disgusting. And right, and I thought that that documentary was great because it embraced that there was a problem, but it also showed that you can create your own space to be you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the two types of people that I saw opposing it were Muslim bigots, who were saying yeah. you can't be both, and anti-Muslim bigots who were saying you can't be both, so mm-hmm. you should leave your religion. Yeah. Neither of which I thought was being reasonable or fair or helping to change Islam for the better. Yeah. Uh, again, it's not a position I understand um, because I find it contradictory, but I still support it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, so, you know, I'd like to encourage everyone to do that rather than oppose people for being gay and Muslim. Mm. But, um, yeah, so how was it like at home when you came out as gay? (laughs) Well, what happened is that um, I first came out as not believing in Islam. So I said, I'm not even sure if Islam is true anymore. And immediately my parents kicked me out. So they kicked me out of the house. So I was was like, I didn't have anywhere to stay. I stayed in like the cheapest hotel I could find. And you were like young, I imagine. Yeah, I, I was, no, this is actually just like two, three years ago. Um, but you're so, in university still. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So now. I was, I was at university, and um, so what happened is that um, I had stayed in like a re- the cheapest hotel I could find for a day, and then what happened is that uh, my parents called me. Um, they'd found out that what they'd done is that my dad had looked at my internet history using the Wi-Fi to Uh-oh. to see where I'd gone. And whilst he was looking at the internet history, he found that I'd been, I'd been like <laughs> accessing other sites as well. And then they, they noticed that I was basically, they realized that I was gay from that. And, you know, uh, it's funny that they actually acknowledge that <coughs> because I had a gay Muslim friend once and he didn't have, he didn't know how to broach the topic with his family. I guess they were uh, kind of open-minded enough that he considered it, but one time his mom found gay porn on his computer and he was like standing in the back room thinking, oh, okay, well now she knows. So I don't have to worry about how to bring it up. She's like, oh no, look at how this gay porn, how did this gay porn like automatically download itself onto my poor son's computer? <laughs> like the denial is intense. <laughs> like even after seeing the proof, she wasn't willing to accept it. Like, how did this oh, porn brilliant. download itself on your computer? You poor dear boy. Yeah, that's, pre- <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, like, when I told my parents, like, when they'd seen the porn and, and they'd seen that I'd accessed it, um, I, I, they called me back home and they said, well, you're not gay. You're not gay. For the next two months that I stayed at home, they said, you're not gay. And they said, the reason you're not gay is because we're your parents. We would have noticed. We would have seen a yeah. sign, but yeah. we saw nothing. So they were really convinced, like they really believed that I'm that I'm not gay. And right. Even so now, they would know better than you, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, what they said is that the only way you can uh, that we're going to let you stay in this house is if you agree to be exorcised. 
What? And and yeah, and this so, is in so, England in yeah, the two exactly. thousands. Exactly in <laughs> exactly in the twenty first century. Wow. And, um, and I didn't have anywhere to go, so I reluctantly agreed. I said, "Okay, oh, yes, so I'll sorry. I'll agree to be to be exercised." And I had to go through that. What was for, that like? like? Next, it was it was terrible. Like like imagine that you rationally know that there's nothing wrong with you, that there's no such things as demons. Right. It's humiliating. But, for yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's absolutely humiliating and degrading. But like. I knew that rationally there was no such thing that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't gay because I'm possessed, that possession wasn't real. But on a very human level, like on an emotional level, because I was completely surrounded by all of that and I was in the midst of it, mm-hmm. I started really thinking to myself, wait, maybe I am possessed, you know, oh. on a very emotional level. And that really messed with my head. Um, even when I was going through the exorcism, at one point I really felt this strange urge which even today I can't fully understand I felt this really strange urge to completely start acting out and screaming and stuff you know how like people act when you watch those when you watch those videos of exorcism. right but it's it's kind of that expectation <coughs> in your mind maybe built up yeah. before that you've seen it it's the, like this is what happens maybe this exactly. is what's meant to happen you know exactly and I felt that really strange urge and I actually had to physically stop myself from doing it. I had to keep my body still. Like I'd actually like focus on my body to keep it still, to like stop that from happening. And it was, it was really like really strange and it was really terrible because I became like really suicidal and depressed. Right. And it's also uh, just was, brainwashing you in that instance. There's people surrounding you saying God knows what doing God knows. Well, Satan knows what, but um, this this idea that um, that you're possessed, you you could just easily for that moment just be internalizing it. As you said, it was m- messing with your head. That that alone could be enough to cause you to scream and shake uncontrollably. Exactly. exactly. And they would take it as proof of something. Exactly. And imagine like you're screaming and shaking and stuff. You'd probably think, wait, this is happening because I am possessed. Mm-mm. You know. Yeah. It's, it's it's really kind of it's really messed up really messed up so I became really suicidal and stuff and uh, that's when I eventually decided that actually you know what I have to leave home because I can't I can't stay here anymore because I probably won't survive um, because I'll probably end up killing myself if I if I stay here any longer and that's when I kind of moved to where I'm where I live now at the moment okay and and are you in touch with your family are things better or well, I went back and saw them, went back to the house like two times. It really ended up terribly. Like it, like there was, there was fights going on. And since then I haven't, I haven't seen them and I haven't spoken to them. Have so they heard that you've them. been doing media and stuff? I think they must know. They must know, but they haven't contacted me. So I haven't, I haven't been in touch with them for a year and a half now. And what if like they're really, you know, what if they could be pissed? Like, do you feel like you could be in danger at all or... I th- I think they probably are really pissed off, um, but in terms of danger and stuff, I think I'm I think I'm safe. Um, although initially I did feel really fearful for my safety, but I think I'm like okay with it now. Okay, I I really hope so, but yeah. you, you know, be careful and. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that you're out of there. And do you yeah. have any siblings or anyone that you're in touch with? No, I'm not. I'm not in touch with any of my siblings. Of- yeah, 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's because they don't want to talk to me or if because the thing is, my the, the household that I come from is really controlling. So like they, they they're like really under lockdown as well. So it's going to be really difficult for oh, them to get in touch so with me. So awful to hear. I mean, and are they all younger than you? They're all younger than me. Yeah. So I'm the oldest. Well, at least you've kind of <coughs> shown them that there's a way out and it's possible yeah. to get out. So if they ever experience that, they can find you or I hope. Yeah, exactly. And one of the reasons that I do public stuff is because if they ever want to get in touch with me, they can easily get in touch. Yeah. I, yeah, I hope so. Um, I'm really kind of speechless and sad to hear how awful this has been. Mm. And yeah. I'm, See, this is the thing. I don't want this to happen to any other kind of young Muslim LGBT person. It's so and important why, that you speak out yeah, about it. Thank exactly. you so much. Yeah. Well, you're very welcome. Um, yeah, where, what do I say from here? I'm really yeah. like, I'm at a loss. I'm at a loss for words. Okay. Um, tell me about considering carrying out attacks in your birth country. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's, um, interesting because, Basically, I was brought up in a in a really kind of Salafi household, right? Mm-hmm. So I was taught that the United Kingdom is uh, is the enemy, and that all the kuffar want to the all the kuffar, the non-Muslims, they all want to destroy Islam and they want to kill Muslims. Right? This is so strange to me because this is the country that has cared for you and uh, housed you and been your home since exactly. you were born how can exactly. how can you be told it's the enemy like i just this is so strange to me every time about i hear about you know some extreme version of british islam british islam seems like a frightening thing from far away it um, is, it is a you know even growing up in saudi i have to say when we had family friends come visit us from england it was like, what on earth is those girls were always burkhad. The people we knew in Saudi were not unless the state demanded it when we were leaving our compounds. But these girls, mm. by choice, there was one family friend who came. She refused to shake hands even with, with women because she wow. just didn't want to, like, touch anyone. Wow. It was like, ex- more extreme than extreme. Mm. That <clears throat> British Islam is terrifying. There's a reason why they call um, like the um, French security service is dubbed London, Londonstan, um, <laughs> Londonistan. <laughs> so it's like there's a reason for that because like if you you'll find all kinds of Islamists in 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 the UK. Um, the the, the I, w- I was basically brought up with that, and I really believed that. I I was never taught anything else. But you didn't um, like wonder like hey like. I, I guess it's really hard for me to understand because I've never been in that position. Um, mm. How is this country that's been my home, my enemy? Like they've. That's the thing. If you like, the, then you, you pull out the Quran verse that says the non-Muslims will say to you in front of your face uh, and the interpretation, the, the, the translation is, is a very loose translation that I'm giving. The, the non-Muslims will say to your face, we are your friends. But when they are alone amongst each other, they will say we were only joking. We're, we're really their enemies. So, you know, it's like, it's really all of that. Oh, see, they're saying that they like us, but they don't really like us. But why would, destroy us. why would you not leave that? Like, you know, if your parents are preaching this to you, then why are they in this Kufar country in the first place? Just leave. 
Exactly, exactly. That's it's the most ridiculous thing. They they know that here they they get so much. They get um, support. They get um, housing. They get education for their kids, and they know they get all of that. So that is why they stay here. And yet and they it's want really to. Contradictory. Yeah, it's contradictory it makes no their sense. Beliefs. Yeah. So does no one question this? Like like the kids of the Salafis, does, aren't they just like, hey, let's go, let's move to. <laughs> Pakistan or wherever we're originally yeah. from. What happens is that in reality, like they all know that they they believe that they should be leaving, but they don't leave because <clears throat> they just say, "Oh, we are weak. Uh, you know, we we need all the good stuff here." So so they basically accept to themselves that they're hypocrites. Oh, basically. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So, okay, so then where, how? So being told UK is your enemy, and then how does it go to? Well, then what happened is that the Afghanistan and Iraq wars happened. Mm -hmm. And then that all confirmed it to me. That was like, oh, see, <clears throat> the West is really at war with Islam. And what would happen is that the mosque, the mosque I, was at, I would attend, they would say things like, um, you know, when the, the kuffar are trying to destroy Islam, they would put it in really generic terms. Mm -hmm. They'd always say like the West is trying to destroy Islam and that the, the, the job of the Muslim is to fight jihad and to, and to retaliate. If anyone attacks Islam, we have to, or attacks Muslims, we have to fight back. They would always put it in really generic terms like that so that they wouldn't get caught out. But everyone would get the message and I would get the message as well. So, But even mind, as generic, that sounds dangerous. And that is dangerous. That is very dangerous, but um see the British authorities wouldn't wouldn't do see do that's a problem I think that 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 kind of <laughs> that level of relativism has really created a lot of this and it, mm. and I always when I am frustrated about Islamists in Canada or hardcore niqabis trying to push their niqabs onto courtrooms or whatever I'm always yeah. like saying please just look to the UK don't be a relativist about this stuff um, yeah. This is like a slippery slope into dangerous, dangerous territory. And I think the UK is so ahead in terms of having these conversations now because so much harm has been done. Exactly. We're so messed up that we can't just, we have to talk about it. Yeah. I wish <clears throat> Canada would talk about it too, even though we are not even nearly experiencing what you guys have experienced. But mm. it's still important to learn lessons from other people, other countries that have gone through it. And not you know in Canada there was a case of a Nakabi woman who was celebrated as some by the liberals completely because the conservatives were against the Nakab. Yeah. So the liberals wow. celebrated wow. her. So liberals celebrating the Nakab. Yeah. That's oh yeah. It was so yeah. twisted. It was so frustrating for people from the Muslim community who are like liberals because. We have no platform to speak from if we try to be like, no, this is not your average Muslim. This is a bit extreme. Then we're shouted down as bigots and racists. Yeah, that, that is a problem. My mom wears the niqab and she started wearing it when I was around six. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I really didn't like it. And my mom noticed that I didn't like it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I, no disrespect to your mom, but I, mm. I don't like it at all and yeah. I think it's it's indicative of a 
a troubling mindset. Not necessarily terrorism. That's not what I'm saying. People always get defensive and say, oh, you're calling them all terror. No. Yeah. There's different kinds of extremism that we need to acknowledge. It's, it's a spectrum. There's a spectrum from completely nonviolent to yeah. really peace-loving all the way to, like, I want to kill you right now. And there's a really, there's a, there's, there's a spectrum amongst that. And there isn't, like, a defining line between nonviolent extremism and violent extremism. It's, it kind of blends into one another. I feel, that's how I feel, like, with my experience. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and it, I mean, it all... It all is a problem. Extremism is a problem, whether it's it is. nonviolent or whether it's violent is obvious. So everyone is opposed to that. But the nonviolent types of extremism often fly under the radar. Yeah, and it's the nonviolent extremists that create a culture and a climate that allows the the violent extremists to be to to like fester. Spot on, it, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and so then, so then, you actually went to the stage of planning attacks or just considering them in your it head was, or thankfully thankfully it was just considering in my head and i was nearly at that stage where i was about to plan but thankfully i didn't get there what were you considering um, basically it would have been i wouldn't have considered a suicide attack and this is interesting the reason why i wouldn't have considered a suicide attack is because of my sexuality like i didn't accept that it was a sexuality but you know, because of the sins that I was, because at the same time while I was considering this stuff, I was fooling around with guys. Oh, so you didn't want to be sent so to, I, to I be judged I by God? Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to go to to, <laughs> so to, to die whilst in that state. But yet you wanted to kill other people for doing some other kinds of sins. Exactly. So it was, it was like, it was really ridiculous because on one level, I, um, it, you know, I really felt that it was my responsibility to do that. It's like, that might sound strange to you, but it, I felt as though it was my duty to kind of carry out this attack as a as a practicing Muslim to kind of protect my brothers and sisters. Wow, who were being see, that does bro- sound so strange to me. And even someone who grew up in Saudi Arabia, I grew up in Saudi Arabia as a Muslim. I can't relate to that at all. Mm-hmm. I knew no one that was this extreme, never. Yeah, I'm glad you didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Right, but I hear these stories coming from England. Obviously, they must exist in Saudi too. But the thing is that as a Pakistani growing up in Saudi, we're we're kept quite separate from Saudis. Foreigners sometimes tend to live in compounds, as I did. And Saudis were not allowed by their own governments to mix, mingle. They're not allowed to go into our schools, the foreign schools, because I don't know what their rationale is. Maybe their right. Western immorality will rub off. Like I went to a British school. Saudis weren't allowed there. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. At least you went to a British school. <laughs> yeah, I had a very secular education. Yeah. Very much so. In Saudi. That's the thing. That's, like people don't that's brilliant. <laughs> people don't know that side of uh, Saudi life, but the compound kids. I mean, it was like growing up in any part of the West, like a Western suburb. There was swimming pools, women wow. bathing topless at our pools, women driving, wearing shorts within the compound. It's mm. only once we left the wall. It's like a reverse Amish compound. Ah. So in like this conservative city. <laughs> That's a brilliant way of putting it. Yeah, we, we have <laughs> like this little oasis of um, do whatever the fuck you want. There was oh. booze, parties, cinema, theater. Um, Santa Claus parades. Wow. 
okay, if I'm ever going to Saudi Arabia, I'm going to one of these compounds. <laughs> yeah, you really should. It's a great time. But I mean, it's a complete artificial bubble. It's so mm. bizarre because you go out to do your grocery shopping and you're in typical Saudi Arabia. I had to wear a burqa when I left the compound or an abaya as they called it. Um, and it's such a contrast. It's a confused kind of existence, but you always have this escape. You're in the market, in your burqa, you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go back to my compound. So that's fine. Whatever. So how did that feel like? So you were, you were a Muslim at this stage. Like, how did you feel about like the Saudi, um, the Saudi form of Islam? Uh, you know, I never really thought about it much as a kid, except for the fact that I didn't like having my Quran teacher come. Or I like ran away on my bike or, you know, my parents were mm -hmm. never really religious, never. So there wasn't really much praying going on in my house. Um, my dad, he, he's a believer, but he's, he's been a wonderful secular role, role model. Yeah, he was never he was never impressed by the hijabs and the niqabs, and um, yeah. See, I can't I can't even begin to understand how that must be because my parents are just so so religious. <laughs> See, it's so like, weird, like yeah. such a different experience growing and up. I, Muslim. I, I was brought up in Britain. You were right. brought up in Saudi Arabia. Exactly. <laughs> Look at that. Like, imagine just like on the surface telling someone about our stories. Oh. I, now you'll meet a boy who was raised in England, and now you'll meet a girl who was raised in Saudi Arabia. Who do you think had the more conservative upbringing? Or, <laughs> you know, people will never guess you. Yeah. And it's funny because we did this um, in university. My friend had a marketing class, and she and she had like a she was giving a lecture on stereotypes or something, and she used me as a prop in one of her presentations. So I was like pretty goffed out and pierced and dog collared in university with like pink and purple spikes. Um, and she had me stand outside her marking class while she's giving this presentation. Okay, I'm going to bring in a friend of mine. And she was uh, raised in Saudi Arabia. She's covered in black and she's a woman. Can you picture in your mind what she looks like? And everyone's like, oh yeah, burqa, black, black. But no, I come in with like fishnets and goth boots, <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> a black trench coat. And people are like, What? You were raised in Saudi Arabia. It was funny. It's brilliant. It was it was so much fun to just do that because people's jaws dropped to the ground. Yeah, that's brilliant. I love that. Yeah, stereotypes, eh? Like you can't always yeah. rely on them. But it's 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 a uh, it's a uh, it's very foreboding that you know me being brought up in Britain, I could be in this you know, be in this kind of, uh, that I was brought up in that mindset. And I wasn't the only one. Yeah. There are a lot of other people like that. And that is terrifying. That is extremely terrifying. It's very terrifying. Terrifying for Britain. I'm sorry. Yeah, it yeah. is. It's, um, but it's it's like, how did we get to this stage? Why why was no one doing, how, how did we let it get to this stage where, um, you know, people being born in Britain could be inculcated with this, with this, you know, rubbish of, of, of the West being at war with Islam, that the UK is the enemy. Mm -hmm. um, that's, it's that's shocking. I mean, it reminds me of that Charlie Hebdo editorial. Did you read that where they talked about how did we end up here? Yeah, I did. I read that editorial, actually, yeah. Yeah, and they talk about this whole spectrum of Islamism, right? Like, many people were upset about it, I guess. Yeah, because a lot of people were. Mentioned the guy with the 
prayer mark on his forehead and the Nikabi woman. But I think this all, as you said, helps to create that environment. It does. It does. And if and you speak to... That's not bigoted. That's just true. Yeah, exactly. If you speak to the actual liberals in Pakistan, you will hear them being so true about hijabs and niqabs, like how people are, even even myself, I have to kind of watch what I say. People may not believe that, but, um, mm. you know, I don't want to empower the real anti-Muslim bigots. Yeah, that's the issue. That so is the issue. <clears throat> maybe I would have opposed it more if I was in Pakistan. It's I have no fear of like an anti-Muslim bigot there. It's just Muslim bigots. So mm. it's easier to push back against Muslim bigotry. Um, yeah. But yeah, I lost my train of thought. See, that's, that's the, this, this is the issue. When it comes to, to Islam, um, I've seen both sides of it. So I was really like crazy, nuts, Salafi, Wahhabi. And I was really progressive and liberal. And I've, I've, I've experienced both sides of it. And I'll be honest with you. It's like they're like two completely different religions. Like it's like a completely different religion. They just share the name Islam. I suppose, but they all defend the same vile verses which makes me really angry that 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 is the issue that is the issue although there is some interesting stuff with like kind of like some muslims actually starting to argue that maybe the quran isn't the literal word of god and that's right. that's actually happening and in britain some are saying that we should just ditch hadith altogether which is oh, great yeah. Yeah. i think as yeah. well like a nice step that would be because mm-hmm. a lot of the horrific stuff virgin fondling and all kinds of nasty stuff is in yeah. the hadith um, but yeah, so yeah, I think that, that was, a, that was a fun little bit of our chat <laughs> discussing <Yeah. laughs> our two experiences there. Yeah. Um, one last thing I wanted to ask you about is I, I remember you mentioning in one of your talks or the documentary, I don't remember something about residual homophobia kind of impacting yeah. f- like relationships right now yeah. for you or maybe at the time. Yeah, that that was actually in the documentary, and um, it's that's the thing. If you've been kind of taught, if you've had it drilled into your head since you were like before you even you know knew what sexual attraction was, that you know gay people are are evil and that they're disgusting and that this is an abomination against God and it's it's unnatural. It's really hard to kind of shake those things off later in life, and I'm still kind of experiencing some of that kind of residual homophobia, although it has got a lot better since I've, I did that documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like if, if anyone's kind of listening to this and I was going through the similar experience, I would say is um, what I would advise is like have a lot of gay friends, um, try to be friends with a lot of gay people. Like admittedly, I myself kind of need to work on this, um, on that on that side of things myself, but I think that helps a lot. So it's like ex-homophobic gay Muslims or ex-Muslims need to work on being less homophobic by humanizing gay people. Yeah, yeah. You humanize them by being friends with a lot of gay people. And, and it's just strange like, because you identify as that yourself, so it's strange exactly. to have to humanize it for yourself. Exactly, exactly. It's kind of like this self-hatred mm-hmm. that kind of grows. No, and I think it's so awesome that you're honest about it and not sugarcoating it. I think it's so important for people to hear these types of things. Yeah, exactly. People need to understand what happens. I mean, not least LGBT kind of Muslims and ex-Muslims themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's that's fantastic. And power to you, Sahil. I mean, 
you have just been such a lovely guest. I think it's, I've had so much fun talking to you. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you very much. That's really sweet of you. Yeah. And anything that you want people to check out, anything you want to uh, kind of send them to or? Uh, I don't think I have anything to specific. Any new but documentaries? You can follow me on Twitter. Oh, um, the, okay. Actually, I'm going to be giving a speech in Ottawa going to be speaking at the one young world summit i'll, I'll be speaking with Majin Nawaz there so i'll be like the former extremist guy speaking because um, nice. they're going to be speaking about global peace and security as well that's great i mean i think um, i hope you inspire millions of more people to ditch that way of thinking and just um power to you and i hope you just continue to flourish and just cast aside any horrible things that remain within you know with with you as mm, yeah. memories of bad experiences yeah thank i feel you. that i feel that thank you thank you well take care sahil and hopefully people will enjoy this conversation as much as i did yeah <laughs> thank you and uh, thank you for having me on here no it was an problem. absolute pleasure take care yeah you too bye bye-bye Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. A special thanks to Dylan Beck for theme music, sound, and production help. Music